You know, when you think about a person's home, you think about going to visit somebody's house, it's usually not very hard to figure out pretty quickly what they love. Sometimes you can, maybe it's a a little flag out front that indicates what they love. Sometimes maybe it's a a special welcome mat. Maybe there's a, a whole room in their house devoted to what they love. Maybe there's things on the wall that tell you what they love. Maybe like this guy. It's a little blurry, but I I think maybe we can determine that he probably loves the Cowboys. I don't know about you, but think about your house for just a second. Think about your home and what you love and how what you love stands out in your home. What does your home stand for? What does your family Love. That's what this series is all about, is asking ourselves, what does home stand for? In this case, we're being a little bit silly, I guess, but but we've turned home into an acronym, honoring our master every day. That we want to create homes that stand for Jesus, where what we love is the Lord and His Word, because people know what your home is stands for. So we're spending some time thinking about our family, thinking about our home life, whether you're a family of one or whether you're a family of many, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, whatever your home situation is, asking yourself, what does my home stand for? What do we love and how is that made obvious? We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and if you're not really familiar with the book of Deuteronomy... It's all about reminding God's people after they came out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and were about to go into the promised land, reminding them of the law, reminding them of their covenant with God, who they were supposed to be. And in chapter 6, Moses really gets down to creating homes that honor the covenant relationship that every family of Israel was supposed to have with God. Creating a home where that covenant relationship with God was honored every day, every month, every year, from year to year, from generation to generation. Now we could talk about how well or how poorly the Israelites ended up doing that and honoring that covenant relationship, but I want us to stop and think about us. As God's new covenant people, are we creating a home where our covenant relationship with God is honored day by day, month by month, year by year, and even generation to generation? That's what we're thinking about. So let's read our text, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I know we've read it already in the assembly this morning, but I want to keep reading it so that it drives it into our hearts and our minds Hear, O Israel, remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that that Hebrew word Shema means listen, and not just let the sound waves go into your ear, but really pay attention so that you do what is required of you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or in other words, the Lord is our God, the Lord 
alone. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And we'll work our way through this passage over the next few weeks, but what I want us to focus on this morning is the root of all of the covenant Obedience, the place from which all of the obedience to all of these laws and all of these rules, all of these commandments that God is giving to his covenant people saying, live this way, do these things. This is how you make sure there is justice. This is how you make sure that you're right. This is how you make sure that you stay in the land and that you remain my covenant people. And the root, the heart, if you will, of all of that covenant obedience comes from this. You shall love the Lord your God. Love for God, as Bentley said a few minutes ago, love for God, Jesus says, is the greatest commandment, right? It is the commandment from which all of these other things come. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is going to tell them that, listen, all of these commandments I'm giving you, everything that I'm telling you, you can do it. It's not too hard for you. You can keep this law. You can do these things if only you'll begin with this. Love your God. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love Him. That is the source from which all covenant obedience comes. I want us to think about that for a second. If that's true, if the greatest commandment, and we know it's true, of course, if that's the greatest commandment, and if that's the place from which all obedience comes then wouldn't the opposite of that be true as well? That the greatest sin, the sin from which all other sins flow, is a failure to love God. In fact, I'd argue that Romans chapter 1 uses exactly that thought to say, this is why the pagan world is the pagan world. This is why the Gentile world is what they are. This is why they do the things that they do, because they don't honor God. They don't know Him, and they don't love Him. They suppress the knowledge of God that should be obvious to them. You see, when we love the Lord our God, then obedience follows. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. So obedience flows naturally from a love of God. And when we fail to love God, then disobedience naturally flows from that as well. So if that's true, if the greatest commandment, the greatest good is to love God, and the greatest sin is to fail to love God, then we have to create homes where loving God is our top priority. 
We, we love all kinds of things, don't we? I mean, you've got sports teams that you love, or maybe you love your career, or maybe you love being American, or maybe you love this, or you love that, you love being a Texan. I think Texans, we're more in love with being in our state than any other state. I don't know any other state that makes waffles in the shape of their state, but we do, right? <laughs> I mean, you can love all of those things. But God's covenant people have to be intentional about creating homes where our love for God supersedes all other loves. So stop and ask yourself that. When you think about your family and you think about your home life, do you as an individual love God in such a way that your love for God supersedes, trumps everything else? And are you intentionally creating a home life where that's, that's what you're all about? Is creating an environment where your love for God trumps everything else. Because this is true. What you love, you will serve. Right? Your service flows from your love. Right? What you love, you pay for, right? What you love, in a sense, you become a servant of. And sometimes you become a slave of that. You love it so much that every time a new album comes out, you got to buy it. Every time tickets go on sale, you got to buy them. Every time this happens, you, you jump, right? Because you love it. Well, what about your love for God? If your home isn't a place where your love for God trumps everything else, then you're loving something else. And we call that idolatry, right? Remember a few months ago when we did our series on idolatry, that idolatry is feeling about something the way you should only feel about God? Sometimes our homes are idol factories, aren't they? Sometimes we spend so much time thinking about and loving stuff And forget that God's covenant people ought to have homes where a love for God supersedes everything else. Everything else pales in comparison. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 14. He said, listen, if you're going to be my disciples, then you've got to hate your father and your mother, your wife and your children, even your own life. I don't that don't shock you when a rabbi says you got to hate your parents and your spouse and your children. What did Jesus mean by that? If you're going to follow me, you've got to hate everything else. I think he's saying in comparison to your love for Jesus, everything else should look like hatred. You know how much you love Whatever team it is that you love, you know, you can love somebody else than the Rangers and that's okay, you know. Uh, you, you can love something and, and, and think about how much you love that, how much you love doing this, how much you love going there, how much you love watching this. And when you compare that love to your love for the Lord, the love that you have for that stuff should look like hatred. That's what it looks like to be a family, a home that is the covenant people of God. Yeah, we, we like stuff, but compared to our love for God, our love for Jesus, our love for being God's people, all of our love for stuff looks like hatred. 
So Jesus, or, or rather Moses here says, there's three things that we need to love God with, right? One is this, love the Lord your God with, first of all, with all your heart. Isn't that interesting? That even this Old Covenant law, when we think of the Old Testament, we, we usually think of all of these rules and regulations and rituals, all this do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And we tend to think that you could keep the law by just going through the motions, being ritualistic. And certainly some people tried, didn't they? But real covenant keeping begins internally. It begins with what you think about, what you feel, what you desire, what you hope for. And God says through Moses, if you're going to be my covenant people, if you're going to keep this covenant, you've got to love me with all of your heart. See, don't confuse ritual even religious ritual, even good ritual, even commanded ritual. Don't confuse religious busyness with a heartfelt love for God. Oh, because you could be here every Sunday. You could even be here on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and that's good, and I think you ought to be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we love Him with all of our hearts, does it? You can go through the motions. You can honor Him with your lips while your heart is still far from Him. God says, listen, if you're going to keep my commandments, it has to begin with a love from your heart. It begins with what you think about, what you desire, what you hope for, what you're passionate about. You don't get to say, well, I I come to church every week and and I I read my Bible some and I say my prayers and I I do all of those good things. In fact, I'm really busy and I do all kinds of things. Therefore, it follows that I must love God. If you love God, you'll keep His commandments, but don't confuse commandment keeping necessarily with love. Only you know what's in your heart. You know what's in your mind. You know what you're really passionate about, what you really hunger for. And the question is, is it God? Is it the Lord? And are you fostering that kind of heartfelt love in your home? Because if we're honest, sometimes we're fostering a heartfelt love for all kinds of things in our homes that isn't the Lord. Only you know what's in your heart. Only what you know what's in your mind. But don't confuse religious ritual or religious busyness with a love for the Lord. Number two, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Number two, love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Now sometimes we tend to think soul and spirit are the same thing. But but in the Bible when you read the word soul, think being. Think life. Think self. Okay, Because that's what the Bible means when it talks about your soul. It means you. It means your being. So when God through Moses says to his covenant people, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, it means all of your being. All of your self. Everything that is you, love God with all that. 
Your mouth, that's you. Love God with all your mouth. Your hands, that's you. Love God with all your hands. Your feet, that's you. Love God with your feet. Love God with everything that is you. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 gives me the idea that what it means to be a Christian is to make Jesus your life. That's what it is to be a Christian, is that you've made Jesus your life. You've given Him yourself, your whole self. In fact, that's what baptism signifies, isn't it? That I don't live for me anymore. Everything that is me, I surrender to you. That's what it was to be part of God's old covenant people. That's what it is to be a part of God's new covenant people, is that we offer up our whole soul, our whole self, our whole being. In fact, Romans chapter 12, Paul spends the first 11 chapters talking about the mercies of God, right? How great God's grace is and God's mercy is and how even though you were a sinner and you were lost and without hope, Jesus died to save you and set you free. And then he says in chapter 12, based on the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable service of worship or or your service to God. This is what it means to be a God follower, is to offer up your whole self, your whole body, your whole mind, your whole heart to God as a living sacrifice. To say to God, I will love you with everything I am and I will hold nothing back. We fail to do this, don't we, when we compartmentalize our life, right? When we say, well, that's the, that's the church part of me, right? You know, I mean, that, that's what I do on Sundays. But, you know, I mean, I've got my work life, and I've got my school life, and I've got my neighborhood life, and I've got the vacation life. This is what I do when I'm relaxing. I'd never do that in the church building. I'd never tell people I go to church with that I do this. But, you know, that's just kind of a different part of my life. No. That's not what it looks like to be God's covenant people. What it looks like to be God's covenant people is that we offer to God our whole soul, our whole being, our whole self, and we say, God, I will love you with everything I am, and I'll hold nothing back. But if we're honest, some of our homes are breeding grounds for compartmentalization, aren't they? where we're teaching the next generation of young people, well, that's okay to do on Mondays as long as you do what you're supposed to do on Sunday. As long as you do what you're supposed to do on Sundays and Wednesdays, then you can pretty much do whatever you want on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. No. We belong to the Lord our God every day. He's bought us. He's redeemed us. We are His people. And as God's covenant people, we say, God, I love you with everything I am and I hold nothing back. There is no separation. There is no part of me that belongs to you and part of me that belongs to me. It all belongs to you because I belong to you, my whole self. Number three, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And number three, with all of your might. 
Now, when we think of our might or our strength or our power, we often think about the things that we physically do with our hands. But I think it's more than that. In fact, I might define this as our power to accomplish something. Our ability to affect change. And your ability to affect change Your ability to do something, to make something happen, is more than just what you do physically with your hands or with your feet. It's what you do with your words. There's power in your words, aren't there? It's what you do with your money. There's power in your money, isn't there? It's what you do with your, here's a big one, church, influence. How you leverage your influence says a lot about who you love and whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your might. God has put certain things at your disposal. He's given you a certain degree of influence and power, a certain degree and ability to affect change. How you use that, how you leverage that, whether or not you leverage that simply for your own good and your own satisfaction or whether or not you leverage that for the glory of God and the good of others, says a whole lot about who you love. I was reading just this morning about some of our early restoration preachers like Thomas and Alexander Campbell. Now, I don't agree with everything they did or said or wrote, but I'll tell you what, I was reading this morning that those brothers, they, they leveraged the fact that they were born white and free and rich to help end slavery. That's what it means to love God with all your might. It means I've been given the power, the influence, the ability to do something, to work towards a good, God-glorifying, neighbor-loving change. But not everybody that was born free and white And even everybody that knew that slavery was wrong, not everybody leveraged what they had, their power, their might, their strength, their influence for the glory of God and the good of others. And we could fast forward even to the civil rights period, couldn't we? And we could see how some brothers and sisters in Christ took what they had, they took their influence, they took their ability to affect change, and they used it for the glory of God and the good of their neighbor. And other people said, well, that's just the way things are. I'm going to leverage what I have for myself and my own family. Then we could fast forward to you and your power and your influence, your strength, your might, whatever God has given you, whether it's the strength of your hands or the strength of your words or the power of your money, the power of your influence, How are you using that? And how are you training your children to use their power and their might? Are you saying these things are given to us for our own good and we're just going to use them for our own family? Or are you saying, listen, God, not only everything that I am belongs to you, but everything I have belongs to you. And I will love you with all of my heart, with all of myself, 
with all of my money and all of my words and all of my power and all of my influence, I will love you. And will you create an environment in your home where everyone that's in your home and everyone who comes in contact with your home knows that that's true of you? So here's the question that I want us to leave this morning asking ourselves. In your home, what kind of love is being fostered? You foster a love for something all the time, don't you? You tell other people, this is worth loving, right? You you make a waffle in the shape of Texas, and you say, Texas is worth loving, right? You put some maple syrup on there, and you say, that's worth it right there, because it looks like Texas, and that makes it better, right? And you're saying, it's worth loving, because it's good, and I like it, right? Every time you root for something, every time you cheer on something, every time you spend money on something, you're communicating that this is worth loving to some degree. So are you fostering a heartfelt, life-surrendering love for God in your home that supersedes everything else? That says, yes, we love Texas, and we love being Americans, and we love Rangers baseball, and we love this, and we love that, but... None of that matters compared to our love for God. Are you fostering a heartfelt, life-surrendering, influence-leveraging love for God in your home? Here's five tips before we close. I want to give you five tips for fostering that kind of love in your home. Number one is this. Verbally admire His creation. Verbally admire God's creation. It's not enough to say, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. Give credit to the artist, right? Give credit to the artist. Tell your kids, man, look at how good God is. Look at how beautiful what He made is. When you see an animal that you think, wow, look at how that animal was designed. Give credit to that animal's maker. When you go out and you see a mountain or you see a beautiful lake or you see a river or you see whatever it is that you think is beautiful, give credit to God and let other people hear you do it. Whether that's your kids or your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, whoever it is that you have influence on, verbally admire God's creation and foster a heartfelt love for Him. Number two, sing songs of praise. I think our homes need to be places where we not just read the Bible together, not just pray, but that we sing together. It took me a long time before I realized that as a dad. And I wish I had the time back that I wasted not singing songs of praise with my kids. But I'll tell you what, two little elementary school boys, hearing them say, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I love to hear my boys sing that. I want to hear them praise God, but more importantly, I want them to hear me praise God. Not that I'm a good singer, because I'm not. But I want them to hear songs of praise in our household. This should not be the only time we sing songs of praise. When we're driving down the road, when we're sitting in our home. We sing songs of praise if we want to foster a heartfelt love for God. Number three, adore Him in prayer. It's good to ask God for stuff. God loves to give His children stuff. And I think that's good to know that we can ask God for things. But don't just ask God for things. 
Let's adore Him in prayer. And when we pray to God and other people hear us pray to God, let them hear us pray to God how awesome He is if we want to foster a heartfelt love for God. Number four, read and treasure Scripture. When we read Scripture with our families, let's read it and say, isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Listen to what God's saying to His people. Think about how that applies to us. Think about how much God must love us to communicate such a thing to us. Number five, discuss your appreciation for spiritual blessings. Remind your family, oh, how good it is that we can pray. How good it is that even though we were alienated from God because of our sin, He sent His Son to die for us, to reconcile us to Himself, so that we can approach His throne of grace with confidence because we're God's covenant people. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. Verbally appreciate those with your family and say, isn't this wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know the good news of Jesus Christ and to be a part of what God has done through Jesus? Maybe there's somebody here this morning, though, that isn't yet a part of God's covenant people. You've thought about it, you've been studying about it, and you've been trying to decide whether or not this is the time to put Jesus on in baptism. I want to encourage you, make that step. You'll never regret becoming a Christian. I don't know how you could. The the people that you'll be associated with, the, the Savior that you'll have, the home that you'll have for eternity, I don't know how you could regret such a decision, even if sometimes... It's challenging and difficult. So if you haven't made that step, I want to encourage you to make that step this morning. If you just need prayers or encouragement, we all struggle. And this is a family that will struggle with you and help you and encourage you and pray with you. There's a room in the back. The elders would love to meet with you if you'd like to do it that way after services. Or you can come forward as together we stand and sing. My Jesus, I